Well, I hope you will consider saying yes to Kid Street. I remember when I was a little boy, I, I loved my Sunday school teachers. You know, it's like they're not my parents, but they have things to say. And, and so, you know, the challenge as we move into the fall is, would you consider giving up one semester and just uh, being a part of our Kid Street team? Because, you know, we want to be prepared for these kids as they all come back to school. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, Proverbs chapter 26. And the great thing about Proverbs, it, it, br- it brings up so many very practical things for us to consider. Um, I'm going to call this message the fool's paradox. Because in Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, we have two conflicting instructions when it comes to how to deal with a fool. I remember thinking to myself as I first read this as a younger man, well, what is it? Is it answer a fool or don't answer a fool? Let's read the verses. Proverbs 26, 4 to 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Okay, that makes sense, right? Immediately following, following, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now what we really have here is a paradox, which is a literary device that takes seemingly absurd, self-contradictory statements or propositions, but when investigated carefully, they really are true and they are well-founded, and that's exactly what the writer of Proverbs is doing. And I just wanna ask, anybody here ever deal with a fool in your life? Be careful, don't be pointing to anybody, okay? This is so practical. Right off the bat, we're challenged to evaluate every encounter with a fool and decide what what is my response supposed to be here? Now, I wanna just start out by, by saying that If you're sitting in your pew and you're thinking, yeah, those fools, they, I just just wanna back you up just a little bit and I wanna admit to you that inside of me is this foolish man always trying to get out. And he's, it's in you too. Proverbs has, uh, in verse 20, uh, chapter 26, it has some really interesting statements about a fool. Probably the most disgusting and graphic one is Proverbs 26, 11, is as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats its foolishness. Now that's a really gross and ugly picture, but it's true. You probably have seen that if you've been around dogs. And the fact is, um, we're inclined to be foolish because anybody here ever had a bad habit? You love it and you hate it and you're disgusted by it and embarrassed by it and, and yet you keep going back to it? Uh, anybody here struggle with a particular character trait? Like maybe you're easily angered or you're harsh uh, and it, it just like erupts out of you and then after it's out, you're looking into the eyes of the people that you love and you see the bewilderment and the hate and the woundedness in them and you think to yourself, I did it again. You know, I really do believe that um, foolishness is not just bad judgment. I believe there is a spiritual dynamic to it. I think we need to decide, wait a second, I, I, need to, I need to admit where I went wrong here, and I need to go to God, and I need to say to him an honest prayer, like, God, I have this bad habit. 
I hate it, and yet I love it, and I go back to it, and I keep pretending like you can't see it, but I know that you are the God of heaven and earth. You know all things. You see all things. You are everywhere at all times. I never am actually hiding from you. You see my dilemma. You see I am very much like this dog. I keep returning to the vomit. I need your power, your deliverance. I want to change, but I can't do it unless you help me. God, this angry person in me, this this harsh speaking person who wounds the people in my my life, I, I need divine help. Proverbs 12, 23. The wise don't make a show of their knowledge, but the fool broadcasts their foolishness. Here's the truth. Have you ever been in a circle and there's one guy who feels like he's the smartest guy in the room, or one lady, and they just go, they talk and talk and talk and talk. And I've been in circles where I'm thinking, you know, they're they're spouting off about all their medical knowledge and what they don't realize is the guy over here, he's actually a medical doctor. Now he's silent as they go on and on and on about medical advice that is based upon their own internet searches or movies. You know, the fool just got to tell you what they know. But a wise person, eh, they're okay. They don't have to say everything they know. The heart of a fool is compelled to talk. A wise man knows how to remain quiet. Proverbs 15.2 says this, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. I tell you, Proverbs has some pretty interesting you know, ways to describe things. A fool is not a learner. A fool has a hard time listening. A fool is someone who in every conversation is just waiting for the person in front of them to take a breath so that they can say what they want to say. It's important for us to know that's our tendency as a fool. Proverbs 16, 14, 16 says this, the wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. Now, I just want to stop and say that those of you who like to take risks and you, I mean, like you go to the amusement park and you have to ride the scariest, tallest, fastest roller coaster, right? Others of you are like, you go right ahead, I'm getting some cotton candy. I mean, it's, it's nothing wrong with wanting to, to you know, enjoy, and, but, but a fool is described as having reckless confidence that puts them and others in danger. I want to show you a picture of Mount Vesuvius in Italy. It is still an active volcano, so it, it should come up here. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that volcano is still an active volcano. But let me tell you what happened on July 14 of this year. We're talking just a few weeks ago, three, three or four weeks ago. 
all right? There was this American tourist, 23 years old, who decided he was gonna get the coolest selfie ever, so he went beyond the established boundaries, he's trespassing at this point, goes to the mouth of the volcano, and he's gonna take the coolest selfie that's gonna get him the most likes he's ever had on Instagram. And as he's taking the picture, he drops his camera into the volcano, and he leans over to try to retrieve his camera and falls into the ash inside the volcano and the authorities had to be called to pull him out. He didn't die. That's the good thing. And he did get a very popular picture. But this is the picture that was published around the world. Okay, there you go. Somehow I don't think that was the cool selfie he was envisioning. You know what that is? That's a fool. Now, I didn't tell you his name because I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, you may know him. Um, Proverbs 29, 11 says, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. The next time someone makes you so mad, you just want to give them a piece of your mind. Okay, I, I, you know that feeling? Anybody here ever had that feeling? Okay, a wise person knows how to quietly hold it back. When it comes to discussion on fools, once again, our tendency is to think about them, but the writer of the Proverbs is elevating particular topics that help us discover the ugliness of foolishness within us. Now let's take a look at this paradox of how to deal with fool. Uh, don't answer a fool or answer a fool. Let's start with the one, don't answer a fool. The first thing that we learn in this passage is this, a wise person knows how to remain silent. A wise person knows that sometimes not answering a fool is the most powerful thing you can do. Have you ever been in a conversation where someone is giving their opinion and you, you, you just want to, I mean, they're going off on a rant and, and you're thinking, oh, buddy, I could counter all of their arguments. In fact, I think I'm going to. You know what the problem with that is that pretty soon you just have a couple fools yelling at each other. Actually, in America, we have a dedicated place for this to happen. You know where, what it is? It's called Facebook. Somebody's always got some opinion about something because they, they look at Facebook, and Facebook, this is Facebook's question every time you open up your Facebook, what's on your mind, Eddie? Like anybody really wants to know, right? And some people take the bait and they just tell, tell what's on their mind. And then somebody else out there, they, they say, oh, that is not true. And they say what they want to say. But we have all of this answering of a fool and a fool and a fool and a fool. Don't answer a fool according to his folly because you end up being a fool yourself. It's easy um, to, to, to jump in, and as you jump in, you actually 
get pulled into being a fool. You know, there are many times, even within families, this is, not, this is more personal than Facebook, that there's always somebody in the family at Thanksgiving or even Sunday dinner that's got an opinion to share and they want to rile you up and their goal is to make you feel smaller, not better. Cindy and I one time, we're trying to learn how to live life. We're a young couple, a few kids. So we went to this counselor to see if they could help us out and give us some insight. And they began to, you know, unpack what we were describing. And there's some individual that we were like struggling because it's like they would always like goad us to respond. And it was the most freeing moment when they told us, this counselor told us, hey, listen, you can kind of tell when they've cast the hook out there, can't you? They've launched their statement, they're watching for your response, and they're hoping they can reel you in. Let me tell you what you should do. Don't take the bait. Say things that are like pretty neutral. Like, oh really, so that's, that's how you see that. Okay, hey, you wanna go get some pie? Oh, so that, that's, oh, that, that's how you experience that. Wow, okay. Hey, you know, I need to go check on the baby. Literally, we had babies at the time. Wonderful excuse. One of my favorite quotes regarding this topic is, you do not have to attend every argument you're invited to. Because nothing ever happens good. People just get mad, feelings get hurt. No real truth or insight is shared. Also, one of my favorite stories is the story of Dallas Willard, who's a longtime professor uh, in, uh, in the California system. And uh, one day, he was also known to be a Christian, a Christ follower, and he taught philosophy, and he was in class one day, and this young, arrogant freshman who knew his reputation began to go off on dis- disagreeing with everything he knew about the professor, his faith, his truth, his, uh, what he thought about God. And boy, he was just going after him pretty hard. And after um, he was done, Professor Willard said, okay, class, well, I think this is probably a good time to end. So I'll see you next session. Another student in the class came up to him and said, Dr. Willard, I know you could have smashed that guy. That that guy. I've heard you. I've been in your classes before. You could have handled him easily. Why did you let him get, get away with that? And Dallas Willard said, I was practicing the art of not having to have the last word. Pretty good advice. So next time at your holiday with, you, with the argumentative relative that loves to put you down, strip controversy, Don't take the bait. Secondly, a wise person knows that there is time to speak, to answer a fool. So sometimes you should be silent, sometimes you should answer. How are you going to figure it out? That's up to you. 
answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. I mean, there are times when a fool should be answered. I mean, we have to care for and love the fool. I mean, we need to be aware of their influence and provide truth to counter the destructive and false ideas that they spread. Um, you know, one, one interesting thing is, is that Jesus often did not answer the questions that he was asked. He was expert at applying this. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus um, doesn't answer every question he's asked. Jesus, however, does ask 307 questions. Of the 183 questions he was asked, as recorded in the Gospels, he only answered three. Wow. He was very expert. Um, we need to figure out what's going on. Jesus would often return a question with another question. He'd force his, his asker to clarify his context, his understanding, and only then would he give an answer. He was so brilliant. I mean, of course, he was God. It's important that sometimes we speak up. <clears throat> and when we speak up, there's a couple suggestions. Number one, speak gently. And number two, wait for the right time. Speaking gently. You know, when you're riled up, you often answer with a strong tone, with greater intensity. And Proverbs 15.1 says this, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Anybody have a story? It goes on to say, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of fool belches out foolishness. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both evil and the good. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. I mean, the honest truth is you can always ratchet it up, but once you launch that harsh, intense word, it's hard to get it back. Second is timing is everything. Everyone enjoys, Proverbs 15, 23, everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. <clears throat> Do you know who's expert at timing? Kids. When you were a kid, did you ever go to your siblings and say, hey, I've been like, who's in the better mood today, mom or dad? Did you ever do that? You know, kids read you. Dad, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, you happy? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. Hey, dad, can we go to the Dollar General? Um, timing. You know, you could actually have a conversation about the topic you're not supposed to talk about right now, tomorrow, 
when everybody's a little calmer. When it doesn't sound like you're accusing or jumping all over somebody. Two guidelines. You need to answer gently and watch your timing. Lastly, we need to all be aware that there is a fool inside of us trying to get out. Everything I've just described is not them, it's us. You know, in order to be able to hear what God wants to tell you, you have to listen and obey. That's it. My dad used to tell me, if you're not sure what God's will is, what you need to do is go back to the last time you felt like God said something to you and do that. You know, the thing about God is that God does speak to us in his word, sometimes sitting in a service like this, as we go through the, the scripture, I mean, you, all of a sudden you have this idea, this, this sort of like the light bulb goes off and that's God speaking to you and saying, you know what he's talking about, that's what you need to do, deal with. And if we say yes, Every time God speaks, he keeps speaking. But if we say no, God often just says, well, I'm not going to talk to you. You're ready to listen. We read the Bible, and the honest truth is, you know, we love the parts that agree with us, but we don't love the parts that we don't agree with. Like, I want to read all about your sin today, and I'm going to amen, maybe even like amen, you know what I'm saying. We are excellent at justifying ourselves. Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I heard one teacher say that the, the word fear often is described like, well, that's reverent awe, and that is correct, but it, it is not to take away from the fact that fear is fear. I mean, do you fear disobeying God? If you believe God is the creator of heaven and earth, the ruler of all things, the sovereign over all, who knows all things, whose plans are perfect and good and right, I mean, if you believe that, are you not afraid to just ignore God or disobey him? Do you really want to strike out on your own? You know, the, the word fear means fear. Fear. If we don't take God seriously, we won't be headed down the right path. If we stop listening to everything he has to say, we make God more of a consultant. A consultant makes nice suggestions, and there's a lot of believers who say, well, you know, I'm 90% sold out for God, but there's 10% I kind of want to deal with on my own. Guess where God's going to speak to you? If you don't give him 100%, you don't make him God. We need to tell God, God, I, you know, like that verse about the dog returning to the vomit. 
God, you know, I, I need to admit to you, I've got an area in my life that's wrong. But I love it. I go back to it. I don't have the power to get away from it. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to admit it to you and tell you if you will help me and empower me to change, I want to change. God, you know the rough edges of my character. I admit that to you. Will you help me to hold my tongue the next time someone makes me really mad? God, will you, will you remind me as I'm pontificating in a circle trying to be the smartest person in the room that actually there's a better plan and that is that I don't have to be the smartest person in the room? Honest admission, when I became the pastor of this church, is pretty intimidating, I'm just going to say. And I'm, I'm around all of these circles. I'm in the finance committee, I'm in the deacons, I'm in the mission committee, I'm, I'm with the Sunday school teachers. And you know what I discovered? I don't know everything. I'm actually not the smartest guy in most circles I'm in. And the day it dawned on me, that's okay. I'm going to lean on the people around me and with humility let them lead where they need to lead. It was the most freeing time, honestly. We got a lot of smart people in this church. It's so important for us to just come to God and trust him. I love what Mark Batterson said about this topic. He said, if, you're, if you aren't willing to listen to everything God has to say, eventually you won't hear anything he has to say. If you want to hear his comforting voice, you have to listen to his convicting voice. I think sometimes, let's be honest, we're afraid of what God is going to say. I, I think it's because we don't, we don't know the heart of God. The Bible says God is love. And if it's not loving, not the way our culture defines it, but biblically, it's not loving, it's not God. Sometimes it is tough love. Sometimes it's what I wanted to hear least that I needed to hear most. And God's not afraid to go there so sometimes, it's tough love he's got for you. And it's uncomfortable and painful. It makes you scared. But he's going there. Because he's got a plan for your life. It's better than anything you could imagine. And he wants to bring you down that path. We need to speak up. We are called to be salt and light. We live in an age of, of tolerance. I hear people say that nowadays people are less, to, less to, they're more tolerant than ever before and I, I agree that to a degree that's true but I, you know, as I read 
throughout history and commentators from different times, it's always kind of been that way. Sometimes it, 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 the honest truth is it takes courage to, to follow Christ and to be that outlier who says, no, this is the right way to live. I mean, I, but what I mean by that is, I mean, it is true and righteous, but it is like great. So we're gonna follow God's plan, even if we're the only ones. People say, well, that's so offensive. I don't mean to be offensive. Josh McDowell says this, tolerance says, you must approve of what I do. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will love you even when your behavior offends me. Tolerance says, you must agree with me. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will tell you the truth because I am convinced the truth will set you free. Tolerance says, you must allow me to have my way. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will plead with you to follow the right way because I believe you are worth the risk. Tolerance seeks to be inoffensive. Love takes risks. Tolerance glorifies division. Love seeks unity. Tolerance costs nothing. That's an easy path as a parent, as a person in your workplace, at school. Tolerance costs nothing. Love costs you everything. I just want to conclude with this. You know, I, I had a friend who I went to college with, and um, he, he was a, he's a pastor in Texas, and we got together after many years of not being around each other and wanted to learn about his ministry, and he, he'd succeeded so well. And Cindy and I went to lunch with him, and we had never met his wife, and so she began to tell us her story. And in, in, her, in her conversation, she said, you know, I grew up going to church, you know, from time to time, and, and I was a Christian. I would ch check that box, um, but... You know, it, it was just religion. It was just who I was, what I was supposed to do. And then I got to college, and I met this person at college, and this person began to describe to me that really what it was all about was a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And this girl began to share the gospel with me. We began to read the Bible together. She, I mean, it took months, but she began to explain to me that it was actually possible for my life to be transformed because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And she says, and I prayed and accepted Christ. And I began to notice the changes that God brought to my life. It was so wonderful. And then I, I was gonna go home and I was so anxious to go back and tell all of my friends about this new found thing that I had discovered in college. And she said, I went back and she said, I'll never forget. I went to two or three of my friends and I explained to them, hey, have you ever heard about this? Being born again, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, praying to receive Jesus into your life. And, and my, some of my friends said, yeah, yeah, I, I, we know about that. She said, I looked at him and I said, so you mean to tell me that while we were in college and spent all that time together, you already knew this, but you never told me? Hey, there are people all around us that need us to tell them about this. It's kind of hard to get, but when you get it, it's incredible. I love the stories of people who get baptized and describe how that someone shared the gospel with them and they didn't, they didn't get it at first, but they kept coming back and 
tell them again. You know what God says in Acts 1.8? You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what that means is you never share the gospel alone. Because the Holy Spirit of God is right there with you, helping you, guiding you. You never know what he's going to do. Sometimes it's important to remain and not, not answer a fool. Other times it's vital to tell them the truth. And you have to figure that out. Today we're going to conclude our service um, with what we're calling an extended time of prayer. Um, we want to do this once a month. And our goal is to cultivate a greater spirit of response, a greater culture of response in our church. I think one of the saddest things is that we would come to church with our burdens, with our needs, with the crisis of our lives, and never get the help that's available. I mean, when, I, when I read through the Bible, uh, I see something amazing. Um, when the church comes together, Jesus is there in Matthew 18. Uh, it's, it says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. So, I mean, you can pray by yourself and should, but there is a unique dynamic when we come together as a church and we seek God together with each other and for each other. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And, you know, in, ex in this extended period of, of prayer, we're going to ask you to respond. And some of you may say, well, I'm embarrassed to let anybody know that I have needs or a problem or something. That's the problem. Humble yourselves in, 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 uh, under the mighty hand of God and he'll exalt you. I mean, I would hate for you to come Sunday after Sunday and you leave so much on the table because we don't give you an opportunity to respond. I wanna do that, I wanna make that change. I want us to start giving this. Once a month, we're gonna have extended time of prayer. James 5, 13 to 20. Are there any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are, you, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. We're, we're ready to do that today. You know, I think one of the scariest stories in the Bible was the story of the king in the Old Testament who had a disease in his feet, and it, here, here's the conclusion of his life. But he didn't ask God for healing, so he died. Are you kidding me? Now, I'm here to say that not everybody who is sick and comes and asks for prayer, for healing, will be healed the way you might be thinking. But it is to the glory of God every time and all the time you are sick for you to humble yourself and admit that need and ask God for healing. It, it's always the right thing to do. This verse goes on to say, um, 
Call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. So God does heal in response to our request. 16, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has a great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So, I mean, I see right here that we should collectively be praying for those who have wandered away. I'll never forget a story I heard a, a, a pastor tell. He was done baptizing a large group of people, was coming down the stairwell from the baptistry, and he saw this woman on the stairs weeping. And so he stopped and he says, what's wrong? He, she said, my dad got baptized today. He says, okay, why are you weeping? Isn't that a good thing? She says, yeah, yeah, it's a good thing, but I'm weeping because I've been praying for my dad for 20 years. And at 10 years, I almost just gave up and quit. But I just kept on going. And then at 15 years, I almost gave up and quit praying for my dad. I'm so glad I didn't ever quit because here it is 20 years. And today, my dad was baptized. Are there people in your life who need a touch from God, who need to be saved, who need to come back to the Lord? Are we not supposed to intercede for them? You say, well, man, I hate to come forward and pray for them, nothing happens. Well, would you be willing to come forward once a month for 20 years? <laughs> Believing that it's to the glory of God and for the love of these people in our life that means so much that we, we gotta keep praying for. I don't know, maybe it's a financial need. Maybe you're trying to figure out what to do with your life, what direction to go. All I have to say is this. Let's not leave anything on the table today. I'm gonna invite you to embrace humility and come forward and we're gonna have our team here and we'd like to pray with you. You can pray by yourself if you like, but we'd love to pray with you believing that when we do that in this moment, we actually take the entire church and seek God. That's a special moment. Would you stand, please? I'm gonna invite our team to come forward. We're gonna get ready to pray for you.